Good morning. So, well, we're back in Isaiah chapter 10. And at this rate, I think we'll be about six years in Isaiah. That's what I think we're going to do. Because after this week, obviously Thanksgiving is coming. So Pastor John will be giving a special message on Thanksgiving. And then, like he said, and I'm looking forward to it, in a couple of weeks, our last service here will just be a time of communion, a time of really reflecting what communion is about. It's about what the Lord has done for us. And in a similar way, just remembering all that he has done for us here at this church. So it's going to be a bittersweet time. But again, as Pastor John had mentioned, looking forward to see what God's going to do uh, with our church and with all of you guys as we move to a, a new place. So looking forward to that. So before we start, uh, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 10, and let's pray uh, once again and ask God to speak to us. Lord God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us this morning, allowing us to come and to worship you, for giving us that awesome privilege to sing about how great you are and to sing about your mighty works and looking forward to your soon return and our resurrection into a new life that you have promised for all those who trust in you. And so this morning, Lord, we also pray that you would speak to each and every one of us as we read your word and read what you spoke to the ancient prophet Isaiah to speak to your people so many years ago. I pray that you would show each and every one of us in our hearts, Lord God, the thing that we need to hear from you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 10, we're going to close out this chapter looking at verses 20 through 34. And in this section, we're going to continue to look at Isaiah's prophecy about the Assyrian invasion and Judah's discipline in the process. But I want to point out something in the midst of all of this, you know, destruction and prophecy of doom. I want to point out the love of God towards his people. Again, even in the midst of this coming destruction and discipline, we will see the Lord's merciful and gracious love for his people. It's what we would call tough love. Have you heard of tough love before? Have you had to administer tough love to somebody that you love? Or are you like holding out on administering that tough love? I found a couple of definitions on tough love and what it is. A more technical one is the promotion of a person's welfare, welfare, especially that of an addict, child, or criminal. Like how you put those three together, addict, child, or criminal. By enforcing certain constraints on them or requiring them to take responsibility for their actions. So it's allowing things to happen in the person's life, you know, and telling them to take responsibility instead of, softening the blow by protecting them and keeping them from the harm that they're doing to themselves. Another definition I like more is to show somebody tough love today will save them headache in the future. It may cause a small amount of them being upset for the receiver immediately after the tough love has been dispensed. It says they would suffer more if you let them get on with their life with no interference from third parties. Again, if you let them suffer a little bit now, it's going to protect them in the long run. So many times, parents are probably the best at this, 
is we protect our children from the consequences of their actions, but they don't learn, right? And so then they pay dearly down the road even more. And so this morning, I'm going to point out four things about the Lord's tough love. And that is that the Lord's tough love is purposeful. You can write these down if you like. It'll come up later on. The Lord's tough love is purposeful, righteous, temporary, and faithful. Once again, the Lord's tough love is purposeful, righteous, temporary, and faithful. And we're going to see that in the text this morning. So let's read through the entire text. Uh, again, verses 20 through 34. And then we'll come back and then explain it, and I'll point out those four things. So let's pick up in verse 20. Now in that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though, excuse me, for though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant within them will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with righteousness. For a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord God of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not fear the Assyrian who strikes you with the rod and lifts up his staff against you the way Egypt did. For in a very little while, my indignation against you will be spent and my anger will be directed to their destruction. The Lord of hosts will arouse the scourge against them like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb and his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it up the way he did in Egypt. So it will be in that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. He who has come against Ayath, he has passed through Migron. At Mishmash, he deposited his baggage. They have gone through the pass, saying, Geba will be our lodging place. Ramah is terrified, and Gibeah of Saul has fled away. Cry aloud with your voice, O daughter of Galim. Pay attention, Lasha and wretched Anathoth. Madmina has fled. The inhabitants of Gibim have sought refuge. Yet today he will halt at Nob. He shakes his fist at the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the God of hosts, will lop off the bows with a terrible crash. Those also who are tall in stature will be cut down, and those who are lofty will be abased. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. And so we'll stop there. So as you can see, there's some historical telling of what's going to happen, and then there's a poetic way of saying the exact same thing. And that's what's going on here in the text this morning. But let's go back to verse 20, because verse 20 is the summary statement for the entire section that we just read. Let's read that one more time, because this is like, hey, what is this talking about? This is it right here. Now, in that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So two things to point out here. 
the term in that day is referring to the time in which the Lord disciplines Judah and judges Assyria. That's what he's been talking about for the past few chapters that we have been reading. There's, there is going to be a day that God is allowing the nation of Assyria to come up to the gates of Jerusalem, but he's going to stop them right there. And in this process, this is a, a discipline for the nation of Judah because cities in the nation of Judah have already fallen. It's only when they get to Jerusalem that they are stopped. And so that's what it means when he says, in that day, the day that the Lord enacts his judgment on Judah and his discipline on Assyria. But what's going to happen on that day? Again, if you look at verse 20, there will be a remnant, meaning a small group of the Israelites, who escape the judgment of the Lord, and they will never again rely on Assyria. Instead, they will truly rely on the Lord. And so that's what Isaiah's prophesying to Judah before it happens. Again, he's saying the Lord's going to allow Assyria to come up to the gates of Jerusalem and only a small group of this entire nation is going to survive it. And even within that group of survivors, a small group will truly trust on the Lord and they'll no longer trust in Assyria. If you remember from last week, we talked about that the nation of Judah had gone into covenant with Assyria or in league with Assyria to protect them from all the other nations. And now Assyria has turned on Judah. And God has allowed this to happen. So that's kind of the summary statement of what's happening here in chapter 10. But even in the midst of this, like I started, in the midst of this judgment and discipline, we see the character of the Lord's tough love. And in this first section is our first point. The Lord's tough love is purposeful. It has a purpose. Look at the wording again in verses 20 through 23. Um, Let's start in verse 20. It says, in that day. So there's a certain day, a certain time that the Lord has determined that this is going to happen, that he is going to administer his tough love on his children. And then again in verse 22. Look at verse 22 with me. He says at the very end, a destruction is determined. It's purposeful. It's determined. In that day, a destruction is determined. And even in verse 23, for a complete destruction, one that is decreed. So God has decreed it. God is aware of what's going on. Not only that, he has orchestrated this. If you remember in verse uh, last chapter, we talked about that. That the Lord is the one who's going to move in the heart of the Assyrian king to come down against the nation of Judah. So the Lord is behind this. So if you were to like pull the veil on the you know world history or on, on what's going on in current events, you would see the Lord orchestrating things here at this time. So again, the point of this is that God's love or God's tough love is purposeful. Again, it's not a random event that just happened and caught God by, surpi- by surprise. It's not something that the Lord thought of at the last minute. Again, it's determined, it's decreed, it's, it's, de- it's part of the Lord's plan for his people. It was laid out, as a matter of fact, in the Lord's covenant with his people. You remember, before we started going through the book of Isaiah, we started uh, a series on the Ten Commandments. 
And I want to point this out because it's relevant to what we're talking about. Turn with me to the book of Exodus and look specifically at chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. And I want to uh, just suggest if you weren't here for those sermons or you wanted to hear them again, we do record them. They are on iTunes, and I don't know the Android platform for that, but uh, I would encourage you to get this message by Pastor John when he covered this in Exodus 19. This was, um, so just to give you a little background, this is a time when the nation of Israel, the entire nation, had come out of Egypt. And God is going to enact his covenant with the nation of Israel. And look at what he says in chapter 19, starting in verse 3. He says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So remember, this is what God was talking to Moses about, and Moses was to go down from the mountain and explain this to the people. So God is enacting his covenant. He says, you're going to be my covenant people. I chose to deliver you out of Egypt. I have this great plan for you as a nation. And this is my covenant to you is that if you obey my commandments, and then he lays them out in the rest of this section of Exodus, then I will do these things. And this is how you relate to me. So again, here in Isaiah, this is, you know, hundreds of years later with the nation of Israel is still beholden to these commandments. So again, if they follow these commandments, God's promise is that he will do these things. But on the other side, on the flip side, not only does God covenant with them blessings, he also covenants with them cursings. And so look with me at the book of Deuteronomy. So turn a few books over to the book of Deuteronomy and look at verse 28. Uh, chapter 28 starting in verse 15 and again the reason i'm pointing this out is because this is part of god's plan again this is not just something that the lord thought up of willy-nilly that i'm going to discipline my children no he has enacted these statutes ahead of time and israel has been disobedient for quite some time so uh, deuteronomy 28 verse 15 look at what he says So this is after he's talked about all these blessings on the nation of Israel. He talks about these cursings. He says this. But if but if it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord, your God, that's exactly what we're seeing in Isaiah now to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I have charged you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. It is decreed and it is determined that if God's children don't obey him, that these cursings are going to come upon them. And when you have time, you can read through a whole list of them. But I want to point to ones that are particular to the time that we're talking about in Isaiah. So drop down to verse 47 of Deuteronomy 28. So in Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 47, he says this, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness, 
for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies when the Lord your God will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring, look at this, verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, like Assyria, from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, meaning it's a foreign nation, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. You are you also or excuse me, who also leaves you no grain, no wine or oil, nor the increase of your herd or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. It shall verse 40 or 52. It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. So again, this is in their law. The nation of Israel should know these things. Again, God is saying, I have decreed these things from time past. You guys all know about it. So it it shouldn't catch them off guard. This is something that God has told the nation of Israel, God's uh, ways are purposeful. And that was my point by reading that. Just again, so you know, th- again, this discipline isn't just, you know, oh, he just thought of it. It is decreed. This is what's going to happen, Israel, if you don't obey my laws, because you're my covenant people, because you're my children. Again, it's no different than those of us as parents who put up laws to our children or rules to our children, they know that if they cross the line, they're going to suffer the consequences, right? We're going to give them that tough love. And we do it, hopefully, with purpose. So what is the purpose of God in doing this to the nation of Israel? Going back to our text now in Isaiah. Well, let me say this. God's purpose is to bring about repentance to his people, right? Again, think of tough love. You're trying to wake somebody up to see that the way they're going is destructive. And if you don't turn from this, there's going to be serious consequences to pay. And as you've been with us going through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's been saying this to the nation over and over again, right? He's trying to wake them up, get their attention. God is trying to bring back his people from total destruction that they are headed towards if God would have just let them go. Right in verse 20 again of our text in Isaiah 10, God says he has a remnant. The remnant are those, according to verse 20, who have escaped the wrath of God. Somehow they've escaped the wrath of God. Uh, looking forward down the road, what Isaiah is talking about. The remnant, in response to what God has done for them, will no longer trust, the, trust Assyria. They'll no longer look to Assyria as their salvation. Instead, verse 20 tells us that they will truly rely on the Lord. I like that. They will no longer rely on the one who struck them, which is Assyria, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. The remnant, God's real people, trust Him only. They only trust the Lord God. And so Isaiah 
and poetic style now in verse 21, 21 and 22 explains about this remnant. He says, though the Israel is numerous as the sands on the seashore, right? The whole nation, the nation of Israel as a people are numerous, he's saying. There's only a remnant that is going to heed these warnings and return to the Lord and truly trust and truly trust him. Only a few people will respond to the Lord's tough love. Isn't that true in our own lives as well? In our own world, you may see friends and family members and co-workers who don't respond to the Lord's tough love, who don't get, you know, quote unquote, get it, what the Lord is doing in their life. Instead, they respond a lot differently, don't they? So in contrast to those who respond to the Lord's tough love, uh, I want to show you how people respond on the opposite side, when they reject God's tough love. Unfortunately, as I said, this is still played out even today. I, from our text, though, you know, if you know the story of Israel, not everybody listens to the Lord, right? There's only a remnant. Again, the nation of Israel is like the sands of the seashore, but only a remnant respond to God's tough love. Let me give you a few examples, really some graphic examples of rebelling against the Lord's discipline. Turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9, the Lord is unleashing discipline on throughout world history. And in one of the plagues that comes upon the, the world, which we could say is God's tough love on judging the world, how people respond to that. And in chapter 9, look at verse 20. Chapter 9, verse 20, the book of Revelation says this. The rest of mankind who were not killed by the plague. So somehow these people are saved mercifully and not killed. You would think that they would respond in gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord, right? No. Look at what they do. They did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and the brass and the stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So you could say, hey, well, if God would show mercy on people, then they would turn to him. No. Here's an example in the book of Revelation that's telling us how human history is going to play out. The people don't want to turn to God. They don't look at God as being merciful to them when he saves them. Not everybody. And let's look at one last example. Turn to chapter 16 of the book of Revelation and look at verses 10 through 11. Revelation 16, starting in verse 10. It says, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of their pain. And they look at what their response is. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. So there's an example of even in the midst of tough love, not everybody returns to the Lord. Some people they grit their teeth and they hold 
fast in their ways. They blaspheme the Lord. And they don't repent of what they're doing. Instead of crying out for mercy, they curse the Lord God. They may even blame the Lord God for the position that they are in, that they have brought upon themselves. So again, to summarize this first point, God's tough love is unfortunately heeded only by a remnant. But the main point, again, is that God's tough love is purposeful. So going back to our text now, let's look at the second point that we could find in this section. The Lord's tough love is righteous. This is probably one of the hardest things to swallow when you see crazy things going on in the world or when disastrous things happen in your life personally. Personally, you may think that how is this the right thing? How is this a loving God allows this to happen? But look at verse 22 at the very end. He says a destruction is determined. And how is the destruction described? Overflowing with what? Righteousness. A destruction is determined, meaning God has ordained it, and it is overflowing with righteousness. Righteousness meaning with being right. It's a good thing that's happening. It's the right thing that is happening. It's the just thing that is happening. And there is no evil intent in it. So just wrap your head around that. When something you, can, you perceive as evil happening in your life, that if it is God-ordained, it is righteous. So when God disciplines you as his child, it is the right thing to do, right? Just like we discipline our children, it might not be fun, and we don't even like it, and you've all heard that this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? If you were a kid, I know I used to hear that. Um, but it's the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to issue tough love on somebody before they go further and injure themselves. And so this is what God is saying, that this destruction that is coming on Judah It's overflowing with righteousness because it is ordained by God and it is to bring them back to the Lord himself. So it's not only righteous, it is overflowing with righteousness. So what we read in Deuteronomy 28 were just seemed so horrible that these things were going to happen. If you continued reading, you would see some more horrible things that were going to happen to the nation as they go through discipline. God is saying that these evil things that look evil are actually overflowing with righteousness. Sometimes we forget about that when we're going through hard times in our lives. Remember the psalmist said in 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. So that's something that we as his children need to remember in the midst of tragedy and suffering And when, you know, quote unquote, bad things happen to good people. We're saying that the Lord is righteous in just the good things. No, in all his ways. And kind in all his deeds. That's what scripture says. In first John one five, the apostle John wrote, this is the message we have heard from him. Speaking of Jesus and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So he's, he's contrasting light and darkness, meaning good and evil. He's saying, in the Lord is nothing but goodness, and there is no evil in him. So even though these tragic things happen, our God is a good God. He is not an evil God. 
He's a just God. He's a righteous God. And he's righteous in all that he does. That's what scripture tells us. That's what we sing about on Sunday morning. We've probably sung some of those lyrics similar to that at least when we were singing. And we have to remember this child of God, even in the midst of tragedy and suffering, that those things are still true about God. Even when God is disciplining you, those things are still true. Even when God abandons you to yourself in the midst of tough love, those things are true about the Lord. The Lord's tough love is purposeful, and the Lord's tough love is righteous. So again, this discipline the Lord has determined, this tough love the Lord is showing his people, is without question the very best thing that can happen to them here in Isaiah chapter 10. If there was something better that the Lord needed to do, he would have done it. But this is what he's chosen to do. And although we may not understand it, and we may not see that it's, that's not what I would do, we have to trust in the Lord that he, again, is righteous and knows all things. So let's move on. And let's move to a third point about the Lord's tough love. And this is probably all of our favorites. The Lord's tough love is temporary. It doesn't meaning it doesn't go on forever and ever. Because if the Lord's tough love or judgment went on forever and ever, that would mean you hadn't learned your lesson. That would mean you would be suffering the wrath of God. So look at verses 24 and 25 of our text back in Isaiah. So after God has uh, spoken through the Isaiah the prophet, explaining to Israel what was going to happen, he says this, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not fear the Assyrian who strikes you with rod, and lifts up his staff against you the way Egypt did. So he's telling them, don't fear this. Don't fear this discipline that's coming. Well, why not? It's kind of scary, God. Look at what he says. Verse 25. For in a very little while, my indignation against you will be spent, and my anger will be directed to their destruction. God's saying that my anger is going to end with you. And it's going to be turned on Assyria. And we learned about this last week in the first half of chapter 10. God's discipline is temporary. He doesn't exasperate his children like sometimes we as fathers could do, right? We can overdo the discipline. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have gone too far in your discipline with your children to the point of it's gone beyond the discipline and it might turn into something else, right? Maybe that just happened to the older generation when we were kids, right? The children, God's children are not exasperated. God does not delight in inflicting his people for the sake of the infliction. It doesn't bring God joy, right? He's not evil. He doesn't discipline to break a sense of hope for his children. No, he's doing it for a purpose, remember. His tough love, again, is done with the purpose, and his tough love is to offer hope and assurance to his children. Right? He says, don't be afraid, you guys. Don't be afraid of this discipline because soon it's going to turn. It's going to stop. It's only for a, se- a season. The Lord does not remain angry with his children forever, right? Because they repent and they turn to him. They learn their lesson. 
Now, if a child doesn't learn his lesson, then they continue to remain in being under discipline. And so this is a way that we could think of when God's ultimately fed up with the entire world and he pours out his wrath on them for all eternity. Why? Because they never learned their lesson and they continue to rebel against him and blasphemy him and not repent. It's hard to imagine that God would send somebody to hell forever, isn't it? Forever and ever and ever, never stopping his wrath poured out on them. But again, you need to think of it like this. God says, I offer life to you if you will turn and repent. My wrath has already been poured out on my son, and you believe that. But if you don't believe that, then you will suffer the wrath of God because you continually uh, refuse to repent. And so you will suffer wrath for all eternity. That's what is fair and just, is that you refuse to repent and return to the Lord God, then you will suffer his wrath forever. The good news, though, is that if you return and repent, then his wrath will no longer be placed upon you, for it was placed on his son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins. So the Lord's tough love is only temporary for his children who turn and repent. Again, the Lord is fair and just and exacting, his tough love. So let's move on to the fourth and final point of God's tough love, that God's tough love is faithful. God is faithful to exact his tough love. Look at verses 26 and 27 of our text. He says this, The Lord of hosts will arouse a scourge against him like the slaughter of Midian at the rocks of Oreb, and his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift up the way he did in Egypt. The Lord saying, that I exact that I lifted my wrath on the nation of Israel and I exacted it on their enemies. God's faithful to do the same type of deliverance to his people here Israel. And he tells them that, right? In verse 27 he tells us, so in that day this burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck, meaning the Assyrian yoke, and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. So God is saying that I'm going to deliver you, Israel, from this Assyrian oppressor in the midst of my tough love. Just as I delivered Israel from Midian, just as I delivered Israel from Egypt. And then the following verses in verses 28 through 34, they're a poetic description of the Assyrians' march towards Jerusalem and the destruction by the intervention of the Lord. Again, detailing for us, The Lord delivers his people. The Lord is faithful when he exacts his tough love on you to ultimately pull it back and to deliver you from it. That should be comforting to those of us who are his children. So again, the four points of this morning's sermon about the tough love is that the Lord's tough love, again, is purposeful. The Lord's tough love... is temporary the lord's tough love is faithful and the lord's tough love is righteous so what does that mean for us just like the lord delivered the nation of israel he will also deliver you if you are his remnant if you are his child he will deliver you from a disaster that maybe he has brought upon you 
Maybe some of you this morning are going through some hard times and you can't differentiate if it is this the Lord's discipline on me or is this my own doing that I have to suffer the consequences. Well, let me tell you this. I don't know how it's going to end up, but I know that if you're God's child and you've repented of what you've done, that the Lord will ultimately deliver you from that. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to pay the penalty from whatever it is that you did, right? So, for example, if if you were out stealing and you got caught by the police, will God forgive you for that? Yes. Does that mean he's going to deliver you from going to prison? Probably not. You still have to suffer the consequences of that. But know that ultimately God will deliver your soul from his wrath. That's what God is promising the nation of Israel. Hey, I'm going to deliver you from this nation, Assyria, But looking down the road, long term, he's going to deliver the nation Israel, his remnant, from his wrath. And the same thing holds true for each and every one of us this morning. The Lord will deliver you just as he delivered ancient Israel. Again, how will he do that? Each of our situations is going to be different. Let me just say this, that some of us need to return to the Lord like Israel was called to. Some of us are relying on other things for our salvation. Some of us are relying on other things to deliver us. If you're his child, you need to return to the Lord and rely on him truly more than anything else in your life. So some of us need to return to the Lord and come back to trust him. And some of us need to stop relying on other things and truly rely on the Lord, just like Israel did. And again, what will deliverance look like? Well, that's really up to the Lord in each and every one of our lives. I know this in regards to eternal salvation. Each and every one of us who believes in the Lord God puts our trust in him. We will be delivered from that ultimate wrath from the day of judgment. Right? We sung about that. We will rise again and live with him for all eternity. Instead of being separated from him for all eternity and suffering his wrath, Because we refused his love. That's the ultimate deliverance. And again, each and every one of us are in different areas of our lives and things going on. I would just encourage you to do this. Trust in the truly, truly trust in the Lord for all things. And he promises to deliver. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, how it shows us how you are faithful and your love towards your children. Again, you are faithful with your tough love regarding its purpose. It's purposeful. It's righteous. It's temporary, and it is faithful. And I pray for those of us this morning who are under your discipline that we would heed that warning, that we would take notice of this tough love, and that we would turn and trust in you alone. And Lord, I pray for anybody this morning who has never trusted in you. I pray, Lord God, that you would cause them this morning to give their lives over to you, to believe in you, to believe in you as the only God, the true God. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.